everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Perfect Prey. I'm glad you're here. My name is Dr. Christine Marie Cochola, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker and have a doctorate in clinical social welfare, where I researched course of control and the impact on both adult and child victims. Most importantly, I am a survivor and a protective parent. Victims and survivors of course of control are never to blame, but I chose the name Perfect Prey because course of controllers who are individuals who apparently have characterologically disordered personalities do choose who to prey upon. They choose people who tend to be agreeable and conscientious, perhaps loyal to a fault, fixers, optimistic, and empathic, or these course of controllers prey upon those who are most vulnerable, including our children. It's part of their plan to gain control. How do we help our children when they're experiencing systematic, unacknowledged child abuse? We need to understand how these course of controllers, harmful individuals, attempt to exert their power over us and our children. We need to look beyond a trauma-informed lens, but also layer it with a course of control lens. So let's engage in personal power conversations that will create the protective parts that will derail the course of controller from his plans. everyone. I'm so glad you're here and welcome to episode one of Perfect Prey. I hope you were able to listen to my introduction and understand that I clearly never think that protective parents are to blame in any way, that victims and survivors are ever to blame. Coercive controllers choose their victims. They look for people who have qualities that they wish they had. They're attracted to these people due to their own deep-seated shame for who they are. They're attracted to people like you and me. Unfortunately, this sets some people up to be harmed. People who have what some call super traits, empathic, loyal, optimistic, the glasses half full kind of people, perhaps more forgiving than most for things many wouldn't forgive, givers in relationships versus takers, simply stated, wanting to believe the best in people. Some people state that victims have codependency and self-worth issues. I'm not disagreeing that this may be true in some cases, and I definitely see the self-worth issues in victims and survivors when they escape, but this is due to the slow erosion of the autonomy of the victim. There has been an inability to really know what we should know in these circumstances because of the abuse. If this abuse happened to a sister, a friend, an aunt, a mother, we would recognize it right away. But when it happens to us, in the privacy of our own homes, it's often hard to discern. Of course, self-worth is diminished. That's exactly what the course of controller wants. And I will unpack this in a future episode for sure. I do not believe that this codependency or self-worth issues is the reason why most end up in these relationships. I believe that most of us come to these relationships with the belief again, that overall people are good. And that there is no way on God's green earth that someone we love and trust could be this harmful. Someone we've decided to partner with, create a family with, that this person could be a course of controller willing to do anything to harm us, aka a narcissist, an abuser. This does set up our children to be harmed significantly. Children always want to believe their parent is good, that their parent is not harmful. They are loyal to their abusers. They hold on tight to the good times and readily let go of the bad times, just 
like we did. Children dependent upon the adults in their lives will make many concessions for a parent's bad behavior. The idea of loving a parent is incongruent with the idea that one's parent is aggressive and would ever have any intention to harm us overtly or covertly. I saw this firsthand as a child welfare social worker, children wanting so badly to return to a parent who had abused them. The abuse was very often physical. There was evidence of this abuse and these children wanted to return even though they had been harmed significantly. With coercive control, often there is no physical evidence of abuse, particularly with the children. It is unacknowledged by systems as abusive. Imagine a child who doesn't even know they are being abused. Imagine that the world around them doesn't see these coercively controlling behaviors exerted against them as abusive. It's simply very similar to the grooming process of sexual perpetrators. And oftentimes in these family systems, that is occurring also. It's absolutely heartbreaking. So where to begin today? I thought it would be important to define coercive control. For many, you are familiar. The term propelled by Dr. Evan Stark was coined by an amazing social worker, Susan Schechter, in 1982. Evan had one of our country's first shelters in his home with his wife, Annie, in New Haven, Connecticut. And Susan also was one of the first researchers to demonstrate the intersectionality of domestic abuse and child abuse. They are not siloed issues. Of course, the Biderman coercion chart created in 1957 is foundational in our understanding of how the dynamics in these relationships, just like those between a prison guard and a prisoner, are intimate terrorism. I use the term coercive controller to identify the abusers because they coercively control. The behavior is an identifier for who they are. They are people who are characterologically disordered. Some of you may call these people narcissists. Simply stated, they are people who choose to abuse. It's important to understand the abuse is entirely about having power over another person. This power over is extremely harmful and often very insidious and nuanced in exertion. I believe this is an overarching abuse that occurs in all sorts of systems in all levels. In the micro level, in intimate relationships, in the meso level, by family courts and criminal courts, child welfare agencies, organizations. It happens in workplaces, it happens in churches, and it certainly happens on the macro level. That's when governments ignore or diminish victim and survivors' experiences, when policy isn't supported, or in the case of certain policies, they are overturned, creating injustices in particular for women. I believe every single aspect of harming people comes from one person or one group of people desiring to have power over others without the regard for the humanity of others. I often say, and it sounds sad, but that we vet the caretakers for our fur babies more stringently than we do for our own children. If a stranger committed the same act against our child, they would never be given custodial time. So what is it about this abuse? that everyone fails to recognize or most fail to recognize. Do people sincerely not understand the pathology of abusers? I'd be happy to explain it. I think perhaps some do, but is it also about these people in positions of power using their desire to exert power without any regard for the well-being of victims and survivors? I know that sounds very negative. I never used to feel that way, but I do now. 
This desire to control others occurs behind closed doors, but also on the steps of the courthouse. In our governing bodies, it's how many deals are made on Capitol Hill, and it's how mothers lose custody every day to an abuser. On the micro level, when it comes to intimate partner abuse, the lack of regard, or perhaps the lack of empathy, is an epidemic. This abuse, this coercive control, happens in a psychological nature with manipulation, gaslighting, intimidation, and isolation. Financial abuse is used as a way to monitor what victims and survivors use and or to put them on a budget or to ensure that that person, the protective parent, is the one contributing more to the family income. There is inequality all over this. The legal system is used, and oftentimes the financial abuse is further inflicted there through the legal system. There is also sexual abuse that occurs. And the worst of all of this, perhaps, perhaps not the worst, but is when children are weaponized. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's all horrifying. And it's all so hidden that it is not recognized as it is an unacknowledged form of child abuse. I believe this need for power is at the heart of all oppression, literally all. The desire for this power is greater than a love for humanity. Some may say, why do we need to talk about this oppression of women all the time? Men are oppressed too. I agree. A few weeks ago, I went to see the Barbie movie. There's been a lot of people, in particular men, who are angry about the storyline of the movie, saying it was a display of misandry, of women trying to oppress men. Really? If you watch the movie to the end, it is about equality and that as a society, we all need to do better in treating boys and girls, men and women, and those who do not identify along the binary as humans. This issue of oppression is an everyone issue that impacts women more than men. Like with breast cancer, where everyone can be impacted, what do we do? We focus on the experiences of women since their rate is so much higher. This need for power and control over others impacts us regardless of race or religion, our socioeconomic status. It does not matter our demographics. Who are the people in society who hold the power and are able to exert their power and control, their oppressive acts to diminish the agency of others? It's men and women who are aligned with patriarchy, who have a core belief system that power over others takes precedence over equality, and more importantly, takes precedence over the physical and psychological well-being of others, our most vulnerable children. Perhaps these people are coercive controllers too, just hiding behind their robes and uniforms and badges. Coercive control, truly the foundation of all isms. Bell Hooks discusses this when she states gender oppression can only end when all oppression ends. So how do we protect our children when they have become perfect prey? perfect prey to a parent, someone they love and trust, someone they are supposed to feel safe with, someone that they are dependent upon. Our children, all children are born with an innate desire to trust those that they are dependent upon, those who are supposed to care for them. They are loyal to a fault and are perfect prey to be controlled, particularly by this person they are supposed to feel love and affection for. I often say that these family systems are like a cult Perpetrators indoctrinate everyone in the family system into their narrative, and victims and survivors, both adults and children, learn how to behave a certain way in order to create equilibrium in the home, in order to ensure safety. 
And so if we know this is already happening with adults who have a developed brain, can we even begin to imagine the compromise to the undeveloped brain, the developing brain, to this young brain that is living in survival mode constantly? The trauma is significant. Our children are confused and very frightened And this often manifests in behaviors that may be difficult to understand and frankly manage, particularly as a parent who has experienced their own trauma. I began this work as a domestic abuse sexual assault crisis counselor at the age of 19. I really became passionate about child abuse in general, but I had no idea even in my work as a child welfare social worker that all of these abuses, every single one of them, intimate partner, child abuse, physical and sexual and psychological. It was and is about power over. It is all coercive control. This was in the 90s, and there really wasn't a conversation beyond the violent incident model. But now we know better, yet we still are saying that abuse that is hidden is not really abuse. Really? Coercive control has been criminalized in the UK, along with other countries such as France and Canada, moving towards this legislation also. In the United States, coercive control is not criminalized, but it has been codified in five states as a form of domestic abuse, thankfully. But what does that mean? That means we have 45 states that have not codified coercive control as a form of domestic abuse. That means that 45 states still are looking through the violent incident model to determine if someone was a victim of domestic abuse. That's wrong. Coercive control is the foundation of basically all domestic abuse. We have to look beyond the violent incident model. As of 2022, we had no state that looked to the physical well-being and psychological well-being of children as the primary factor in determining custody. The Violence Against Women Act with Caden's Law, named after a child murdered by a divorcing, separating father, is supposed to remedy this. And we now thankfully have states that are looking at how to create judicial training to support understanding the ways that coercive control is inflicted and the harms to children. Colorado has passed their version of VAWA with Caden's Law and California's Peaky's Law and New York's Kara's Law, named after other children who have been devastatingly murdered by a father, is being heard in their states and hopefully will pass into law. Not looking after the welfare of children in determining Custody has been a huge failing of the system. Why would someone not want to pass this piece of legislation? It makes no sense. People in positions of power believing they do not have anything new to learn, maybe, or that the problem is not that significant, or worse, that the safety of children does not matter. This is why education on the pathology of these abusers is vital. I've just created an attorney training specific to this. It's a two-hour webinar that really just unpacks all of the aspects of course of control because I really believe that some people simply don't understand it and they don't understand that they literally do know someone. We all know someone who is being abused and if there are children in that family system, they are co-victims. I missed the signs in my own relationship and had no idea how long my children were being harmed. Dr. Romani discussed my situation on her recent podcast, Navigating Narcissism. Working in this field my entire career and a therapist helping others, educating on this topic, yet so trauma bonded that I couldn't see clearly the abuse. There was no physical evidence. It was obvious to others that perhaps I wasn't suffering. It was obvious to me that perhaps I wasn't suffering. 
then how could we expect judges, lawyers, and other court professionals to see this without education? Understanding this unacknowledged child abuse and the significant impact it has on the developing brain is imperative to our supporting vulnerable victims. It is challenging also to describe and much easier to hide, even by abusers. The abuse is often hidden. The trauma, that much more significant to the developing brain when abuse is hidden. If we can't see it, did it happen? Imagine the confusion for our children. In episode two of Perfect Prey, I will talk about the ways that coercive controllers inflict their harm. We have to go beyond trauma-informed parents. We have to go beyond just simply understanding that these children perhaps are living in a home witnessing or exposed to domestic abuse. We have to understand they are also being coercively controlled, which means all of us together have to really understand how to best support our children. They are harmed both covertly and overtly. And there are various manifestations of the trauma showing up in their in our children's behaviors. Some of you may have children who fear the course of controller, others who have aligned, others who have perhaps disassociated and seem to not care either way. All of these behaviors are their trauma reactions. Whether they're abused by the course of controller, overt or covert, they are still trapped in the den with a wolf. There are many people doing amazing work to support children in these circumstances and to support victims and survivors, adults also. Yet still many that do not understand the nuances of this abuse, but you do. You understand the nuances of this abuse better than anyone because you experienced it. You are the best person to guide your children towards developing their agency, their empathy, their feelings of safety, their belief and trust in you their protective parent. Let's face it, when children see a therapist, they see them for about an hour a week. When you are with your children, assuming that you have time with your children, you have so much more valuable time to capitalize on, to support them, to counteract the harm that the course of controller is doing. That's really what this podcast is about. I completed a research study that I do hope will be published soon called Perfect Prey, the Intersection of Course of Control and Subjugation. It's really about this idea that there are people who are perfectly aligned for an abuser to take advantage of. Again, it's never a victim's fault. But if adult victims are perfectly aligned for an abuser to take advantage of, we have to assume our children are that much more vulnerable. And the experiences of our children, of course, of control, are that much more harmful to the developing brain. I truly believe that protective parents are their children's saving grace and showing their children a path to freedom, freedom from the course of controller. I do hope you'll join me for episode two. See you soon. This podcast is for educational purposes only and individuals should seek out appropriate medical or mental health services from a professional if they or anyone else they know is at risk of injury or harm. The views of this podcast and those discussed here are solely those of the podcast author and are not intended to represent anyone else's opinion. 